Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Ken Converse podcast. Today we have the pleasure of being joined by Cesar Alejandro Urbino Blanco. Cesar, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi everyone, my name is Cesar Alejandro Urbino Blanco and I have a very long name, yay. I'm originally from Venezuela and I'm a postdoc right now in Ghent University where I work on CO2 chemistry and CO2 utilization. And I'm very excited to be here with you guys. So let's see what we're going to talk about today. Perfect. So as I was going through your biography, I was really impressed that being originally from Venezuela and then traveling to so many different places, that's like a dream come true. Sounds like that. And I was just wondering, why did you settle down more or less for your postdoc position in Belgium? Like, why did you choose that place over the other ones? Well, Belgium was a fun choice. So at the time where I could choose to move to Belgium, I had three other options for postdocs. I could choose between coming here, going to Lyon in France, or going to Graz in Austria. And I'm going to confess, I chose Belgium based on convenience, because before that, I was living in Aachen in Germany with my sister, and she stayed here. And Ghent is just two and a half hours by train to Aachen. And I thought, you know what? The chemistry was equally exciting in all three places. And this one was the closest to my family. And for me, being close to family was important. So that was it. That was the choice. It wasn't really that exciting to choose Belgium, but I'm happy with my choice. I quite like Ghent. It's a beautiful city. I get to do amazing chemistry here. Interesting. For a second, I thought that it was because of the Belgian chocolate, because that would totally be my choice. (laughs) I love Belgian chocolate. I have to say, I have to say, chocolate and beer, they are like a nice surprise. So before coming to Belgium, I didn't like beer. I used to think that I didn't like beer. I live in Scotland. I'm sorry, but Scottish beer is not particularly good. No, no. (laughs) I mean, Brewdog has a few good beers, but that's it. Then I moved to Germany and I definitely said I do not like German beer. And then I moved to Belgium and I was like, oh my God, I think I like this thing called beer. Belgium has been an amazing place for trying different beers. So if you like beer, just definitely come to Belgium. And if you like chocolate, for sure, you have to come to Belgium. It's a great combination. One of the things that is close and dear to my heart is the languages. So you speak a lot of languages, which is great. So can you tell how many languages you speak and how you develop that passion for languages? Well, I love, love, love languages. And I think it's partly because my dad is a Spanish literature teacher. So ever since I was little, I just have this love for grammar. And then in high school, you learn English. And when I was in university, I always wanted to learn German because I thought, you know, as a chemist, Germany has this history of being so great in chemistry and all these old journals that are in German. So I thought that I wanted to learn German. And then during my undergrad, you could choose and study a language for free. But sadly, German was always taken and I couldn't register for it because it was always clashing with one of my chemistry courses. So I decided to take Italian instead. And I'm a quarter Italian. So I thought, well, you know, you might as well, you know, and Italian is a beautiful language. That was like my third language. And it's a funny story because thanks to learning Italian, I found a scholarship to go to Italy. And that's how I ended up having even a PhD. It was a crazy story. So what happened was, this is funny. I was fighting with the head of school because I needed permission to take an extra course in Italian because it wasn't part of my program. And I went in to ask for permission. I said, like, okay, I want to take Italian too. And he said, oh, no, you know, you've taken so many extracurriculars. You should concentrate on your chemistry courses. And then I went outside and I started complaining to the secretary. And I said, like, oh, I can't believe this guy. He doesn't want me to take Italian too. This is so annoying. And she said, oh, do you speak Italian? And I said, well, 
I don't speak Italian yet. I just took the first level. Why? Because we just received this call for scholarships to go to Italy. And the main requirement is that you need to speak Italian. And I thought to myself, well, I don't speak Italian yet, but I'm sure that by the time I get to go to Italy because of this scholarship, I will speak Italian at least better. And so that's the only reason why I applied to a scholarship to go to Italy that I complain. And I ended up getting the scholarship, ended up going to Italy. And on the very last day during my scholarship, the group where I was in Florence was organizing a conference and Steve Nolan was giving a talk. And I fell in love with his chemistry. He was just so, so good. And the all of him metathesis was such a great reaction that I felt, okay, I want to work for this guy. So I sent him an email right after his talk. And I was like, I just saw you speak and I fell in love with your chemistry. Can I work for you? And he was like, well, let's schedule an interview. You know, it's like, well, I cannot because I'm going tomorrow to Venezuela. Basically, we just schedule everything online and it happened later. But, you know, like, basically I started complaining about not being able to take Italian and I ended up with a PhD position. So it's like the world just turns and turns. After my PhD, I wanted to learn German. And that's the reason why I moved to Germany. I wanted to take out of my first postdoc on top of learning new chemistry. I thought, well, I mean, languages are such a good skill to have. So I want to do a postdoc in a foreign place where I can also learn a language. So that's why I went to Germany. And then, to be honest, I didn't want to learn another language after German because I managed to go all the way to C1. But then I've been living in Belgium for such a long time that I thought, okay, I want to learn the language and, you know, be kind to the people where I'm living. So for the past two years, I started learning Dutch. And now I can speak a little bit of Dutch, not so much because now the pandemic happened and I don't get to practice it. But yeah, it's the last language that I'm adding to. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I think, you know, it's inspiring to know that by going to all these different countries for all your work, that you develop these passions for different languages. I think for me, I did German and Spanish at school. I don't know, Medina, what you studied in terms of languages at school. I studied English, German in school, and then I got into Italian music and culture, and I was like, I should learn Italian. So that's how I learned Italian. I got into Turkish TV shows. That's how I learned Turkish. And then I have Azeris, my native language. I don't speak it that well, but Russian is my kind of more or less mother language. So Turkish and Azeri are very similar. So it's very easy to switch. So yeah, that's why I, when I saw that you're passionate about language, I was like, I have to ask that question. <laughs> That's so cool. I can say something in Russian, though. So I have a really good friend, Andrei Tarkovsky. I asked him to teach me something fun to say in Russian. And he said, okay, I'm going to teach you a tongue twister. So I can say, let me try if I can say. Sla Sasha Pasha Seysa Sala Sushku. Amazing. That's kind of like, a, yeah, I love it. There are a lot of other ones. I can teach you later if you want. That's, that's, the, one, that's the one I know. And maybe you can explain what it means because I always forget. There was a girl who was going on a street or I guess alley and then she was sucking. What is that treat called? I don't know. It's sushka. It's kind of like a dry bread. It's like cracker. It sounds very weird in English, but trust me, it's a good meaning. What I like really in Russian is when someone says thank you, there's this saying in Russian, you can't put thank you into your pocket. So I keep saying that as a joke to my lab members when they're like, thank you. And I'm like, you can't put thank you into your pocket, meaning that like give me money or like give me something. <laughs> How do you say that in Russian? Спасибо карман не положишь. Спасибо карман That's a difficult I only know yes and no, so nyet and da. That's literally the only Russian I know. You should learn napasachok. That is a great word. Napasachok. What is napasachok? I was told that napasachok is like the last drink before you actually go. It's like a drink for the way, 
to have a like a good way napa shock. oh napa shock. i see and that's how andre tricked me into always having another beer when i was to leave he's like no 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 no, no. napa shock. you cannot leave when you claim napa shock. you have to stay and drink and that's it like you cannot do it i mean it's bad luck we say in english i think one for the road you can't refuse a drink for the road you can't <laughs> That really comes on to like having so much experience of so many countries. Could you maybe touch on how you've seen diverse leadership in your time across, you know, all the labs you've been in? Well, that's a very good question. So I realized that every group that I've worked had a different culture, a different leadership style. And at the same time, I can recognize that some of these leadership styles work better or worse for me. So, for example, I realized because of the type of person that I am, which is I'm a dreamer. So I like to, you know, I have a million ideas and I like to try 10 things at the same time. I work very well when I have a supervisor or a leader who is very focused and who likes to keep me organized. And he's like, you know, you should keep track of this project, like what's next and so on. And I like hands-on contact. I've worked in groups that are like this. I've worked in groups where I'm like, basically, you have all the freedom in the world to do anything you want. And that's amazing. If you are the kind of person who is very good at keeping track of your own project and like, you know, staying on track. But if you're not that kind of person, then you might need a different style of leadership. But I think that what's the most important is that regardless of who your supervisor is or who you're working with, you should identify what works for you and then ask them and talk to them about, you know, like, I am this kind of person. I like to be supervised this way. Can we find a way to do this? And I think that's what has been successful for me. It's a really nice philosophy, I think, to kind of live by as well. It's, you know, seeing yourself for who you are and kind of not letting someone else change how you want to approach, you know, either research or life in the way you want to. Yeah, I think it's very important. And also when you think about it, it's also playing to your strengths because I know that I am very strong when I work together in a team. And it's not that I cannot work alone. I can do it, but it takes me more time. It takes me more effort. And it's not something that I enjoy. So when you use your strengths when you really work on what works for you, then you can be more successful. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's people who try very hard to be perfect. I think perfection does not exist. We cannot be perfect. We all have things that we are better at. And it's only when we focus on our strengths that we can actually achieve better results because you can try as hard as you can to, you know, like start today and being Let's say you want to be a ballerina. I mean, if you're not built for it, if you I mean you can try and you might achieve some success on it, but if you are not really good for it, then you might want to use your efforts and all of this energy into something that you're very good at. It doesn't mean that you can only do things that you're good at, but it has to mean that you need to be realistic of what do you want to achieve and where do you want to go? And you need to take a look at yourself. Like, okay, these are my strengths and this is what I want to do. How can I use my strengths to get there, you know? And I think that's important. And whether you're doing a PhD, you're an undergrad or even a professor, you always have to think about it because, you know, you're always trying to grow and you're always trying to get some place career-wise. And I think that it's important to take a look at yourself and really reflect on the things that make you happy and that you're good at and try to do that as a career. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point because I find a lot of people, because there's so many different things that you can do. If they choose the wrong thing, they end up concluding that, oh, I'm stupid. I'm not good at it. But there's no such thing as stupid people. The saddest thing is for people who can't really 
find that thing that they're actually good at. So for the rest of their lives, they're actually just thinking that I'm not good at it because I'm just stupid. And that's it, which is really sad. I mean, personally, I respect someone a lot more if they're able to admit when they're doing something they perhaps don't enjoy and finding something then they do enjoy. It's being able to change their mind and admitting that's okay, I think is a big part of introspection and growing as an individual, for sure. But I think it's also very hard because if you are training to do something and then you realize, well, I'm not good at this, or maybe I'm good, but I don't enjoy it. It can be very daunting to think, well, I'm going to stop. That happens to a lot of people, I guess, in academia as well, because there's people who are doing a PhD and for many reasons, they don't enjoy it. And they feel like they have to finish because they started it. And honestly, life is too short to do something that you don't enjoy. So if you realize, if you actually realize that doing anything is not for you, you should change because why going through all the hassle of continuing? And this is from someone who I have a very hard time quitting. And I have a very hard time stopping projects and stopping things, but I'm trying to learn that it's okay to let go of things that don't make you happy, you know? So it's something I'm trying to apply to myself right now. That's great. Speaking of leadership, you recently had a job interview for a professorship position, and we were wondering whether you'd like to talk about it and how did you prepare for it? How did you feel? How did it go? And et cetera. Well, absolutely. So the preparation for the job interview was so much fun because first of all, it made me think of all the things that I need to do and to achieve to become a professor. So I had to come up with a research plan. I had to come up with a teaching philosophy. And the process of putting this together was extremely satisfying because I had to really take a look at myself and my career and think, okay, what do I stand for? Like, what's my vision for the future of chemistry, for the future of education? And not only that part was fun, it was also fun the part where I had to ask for help to all of my friends because, I mean, not only I had to prepare for an interview. I had to do an interview online and it was my first time doing this kind of things. So I went and contacted a friend who is like a podcaster and a multimedia wizard. And she told me, okay, you need to get this camera. You need to get this microphone and get some light because you want to, you know, have the proper lighting for the interview. The whole process was amazing because it made me realize that it takes a village to do anything. You know, it takes a village to finish your degree, to do a successful postdoc, to get hired as a professor. And I have an amazing village. I have an amazing amount of people who are there to support me. And this made me extremely happy. And I think I did the best that I could for this interview. I prepared really well. And at the end of the day, after the interview, I thought, well, there's nothing I could have done better. And that was a nice feeling. Sadly, I didn't get the job, but that's secondary because, I mean, whether you get or not the job, that's outside of my control. What I could control was how I prepared for the interview. And I did everything in my power to make sure that I did the best I could. And I think I did a very good job and I'm very happy about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I feel like if you didn't get it, that just means that it's not your place and they're not the right people for you. I'm sure you will find an amazing place. I'm also a big believer in the idea that, you know, if you don't get something, it means it's not meant to be. And ultimately that just means there's something else coming down the road, potentially that will be, you know, the right fit for you. So Absolutely. I mean, like the story about complaining about not knowing Italian and how it led to a PhD. At the end of the day, there is this speech by Steve Jobs. I'm not a Steve Jobs fan, by the way, but there is one speech that I really like. And that was one he gave at some university about connecting dots. You can never connect dots forward. You can only connect them backwards. But there will come a point in your life when you will see, well, the only reason why I got here was because of these, 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 and these choices or successes or failures. But they were necessary because they brought me to where I am today. 
So I don't dwell too much on the fact that I did not get the position. Of course, it would have been nicer to stand here and say like, yeah, I got the position. But at the same time, I'm sure that something better will come or something will come. <laughs> sure. So talking about things beyond kind of the chemistry that you do and things like that, you obviously enjoy cooking from seeing a lot of your tweets. You often tweet the food you're making. And I know you created the chemist table kind of hashtag and then the account and the Instagram account. Could you kind of talk about what kind of cuisine you enjoy? Being from Venezuela, there's obviously a lot of cuisine there that you probably enjoy to cook. And as well, all the countries you visited, could you maybe talk about your favorite cuisine and what you enjoy cooking? Absolutely. So I love Venezuelan food. I think Venezuelan food is absolutely amazing. And for those of you who have not tried it, imagine something like, Mediterranean, Spanish type of cooking, but with South American ingredients. That's more or less what we do. Like we have a very, yeah, Mediterranean kind of flavor profile, but we just use the ingredients that are available to us. So we use a lot of corn because there was a lot of corn in Venezuela and like plantain and fresh vegetables. I have to say, I absolutely love Italian food. It's one of my favorite types of foods, maybe because I'm a quarter Italian. And it comes very close to Thai and Indian food. I discovered Thai food and Indian food when I moved to the UK because we don't have a lot of Thai or Indian immigrants in Venezuela. And then I moved to San Andreas. That is a small village that has amazing restaurants. And I found myself eating curries and eating Thai food at least once a week. And then I started cooking and learning how to cook this. And it was life-changing. I now, I think I don't go a week without having some kind of Indian inspired dish because I really love the flavor profile. Cool. I'm the same. I really enjoy cooking. And I think, you know, past 12 months has kind of taught me how easy it can be to cook lots of different things just from, you know, watching YouTube videos, especially Twitter, I found has been great. The chemistry cook hashtag and your chemist table hashtag as well, just seeing what variety people can cook about different cuisines and it's also realizing that it's actually just chemistry, but you can actually eat what you're making, which is, you know, a lot of fun. Absolutely. I'm always not lucky with looking at the chemists who cook because I end up being hungry whenever I look at the pictures and I'm like, I want to eat that right now. So, <laughs> but yeah, and I also got into baking bread. Oh, that's awesome. What kind of bread do you like? I just add all the random spices that I have at home and make different bread all the time, but I like rye bread. So speaking of other things that you enjoy doing outside chemistry is you got into plants and I see those pictures on Twitter that are amazing of your plants. They're so cute. Oh, I love plants. I've always have. Last year, I really decided, okay, I'm going to take plants to the next level. And I just bought a bunch of them. I started even growing tomatoes on my terrace. I grew tomatoes, I grew peppers, broccoli, and it was a really nice thing to do, especially during quarantine, because, you know, you were home all the time, so you could check on your plants all the time. And I think plants just give, you know, a touch of life to every environment, even in the lab. Sometimes I bring a little plant to my desk just to make it a little bit more homey. So, so much fun. Do you guys like plants? Yeah, I'm a big fan of flowers. Like I often find like roses or something are quite nice just to have in the kitchen and it brightens the place up. I can show you. I have some oh, wow. fresh tulips here today. They're dying, but it's just a nice thing to have around the house, like a little, yeah, a little green just to lighten your day. It also depends on the personality. Like before quarantine, I love, I mean, I can't travel right now, but I still love traveling because I live alone. They end up just dying because I'm like, it's okay. I believe in them. They're going to survive a couple of days when I'm away, but then I come and they die. So I'm like, I should stop killing plants. So I decided not to get them. 
or like cactus or something. The one that doesn't need watering, that should be good. Well, I mean, you shouldn't feel so bad about yourself. You know that the average millennial has killed around four plants. So how many have you killed so far? Just a couple, two, three. <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> couple. I mean, that's just the average. So I think you're not alone when you find yourself killing a few plants. So don't worry about it. <laughs> For sure. That's really cool. I think the more kind of people get into plants and cooking and things like basically if people try and do the hobbies they enjoy, it certainly makes the work a lot easier, I find, because you kind of have something to distract yourself from difficult days at work or things like this. So, yeah, I certainly agree. That is an advice that I give, especially my PhD students, the ones that are starting, because something that I used to do was I used to use work as a way to disconnect from everything else. So whenever, you know, like I enjoy work so much that work would be like my refugee, like my happy place. But then the problem is the moment that, you know, your chemistry isn't working, your reactions are doing great, then you lose the joy of it for a little bit and you need an activity to disconnect. And if you don't have that, it can be a very hard, you know, wake up call because all of a sudden the thing that gave you always joy is not producing any happiness. So you need to find yourself an activity outside of work that gives you that extra, you know, little bit of happiness to keep you going. And that's why I have plans, I have cooking, I have music as well, because you really need that. And it's okay to love your work. It's absolutely amazing if you do, and I really love it. But at the same time, it's also very, very healthy to have another thing that you like to do and that you actually do it. Because regardless of how successful you are, there will come a time where, you know, things at work are not going to be that great. And you need to be able to still have something that, you know, can center you, can make you happy, and that you can go on with your day so that afterward you can feel refreshed and feel like, okay, I'm ready to tackle when everything happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Whenever I have a failed reaction, I always go to my piano and just, you know, improvise or do something. Oh, also. Yeah, it's right behind me. It's like always there. I don't know whether you can see. Yeah, it's right there. I can see it. That's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it really helps. And I know that you also got into playing piano, which is awesome. Last year. Yeah, last year I started playing piano, actually. So I moved in with my flatmate and he had a piano and I was like, can you teach me? Like, I always wanted to learn the piano. And so he started teaching me and for I think the first six months of quarantine or so, I was waking up and I was playing an hour every day. And that was definitely my happy thing. Like it was making me so happy to just play some music. And, you know, like it's so nice to be able to do music. And it's something that I missed when I was growing up. I played the viola. So I was in a professional orchestra at some point. And then during my PhD, I had to stop because I didn't have time to combine it anymore. I think I went something like seven years without doing any music. And then suddenly last year, I again felt like, oh my God, I can't do music again. And it's such a nice feeling. I absolutely love it. That's incredible. I think it, you know, goes to show there can be multiple kind of ways that like you say you can disconnect from your work and just what I find when I'm, you know, reading or I don't know, doing languages or something, it kind of gives you that disconnect time to think about in the subconscious kind of the work you're doing and then come back to your work refreshed and things like this. So it's really, really good to have those hobbies. And I guess kind of moving on, talking about leadership that we talked about earlier on, could you maybe talk about your experience as a 2018 cast future leader? So Saul recently had a t-shirt from the SciFinder team that was really, really cool. Uh, I'm not wearing it right now because it's on the laundry. Sorry, Peter. Honestly, CAS and the future leaders was the best experience ever. Like I've never been in a room with 
so many cameras because you can imagine like a whole class of 30 people. You walk into this room and you felt like you immediately connected to everyone. And before going there, I was a little bit anxious and worried because, you know, you're about to meet all these super successful people that are so super cool. And I felt like, oh my God, like, what if they don't like me? And then the first person I met was Lushka Bibik. And within two minutes of talking to her, I texted my flatmate like, I feel this is going to be all right. I just met one person and she's absolutely incredible. And I wasn't disappointed. Like it really just got up. Anyone that is thinking about applying should definitely apply because it's an amazing program. You get to learn so much about, you know, leadership and about how chemists everywhere are changing the world, not only in academia, but also in industry and, you know, in startups, in tech, people in policy, working in museums, in education. And it's just so rewarding to see that there are so many opportunities and so many things that you can do as a chemist that I don't know about you guys, but when I was an undergrad, the only career option that it was taught to me was, well, you will actually only do teaching or research. There are no other options. And it's only now that I realized that chemists can do pretty much anything. And it's really cool to see that there are so many of us doing so many different things and that the trick there is just to find out what's that thing that you like to do and that you can combine it with chemistry. It was amazing. And then I think for me, the best experience about CAS was just getting to meet all the people because honestly, everyone in my class was so amazing and special in a way. We still have like a WhatsApp group and I keep talking to some of them more than others, of course, but like, you know, for example, Yesterday, there was a new album released by Taylor Swift. And of course, I talked to my team, who is the future leader, who during those two weeks, we never got to talk about Taylor Swift. It was only afterwards that she said to me, we have to introduce ourselves again because, you know, I'm a Swift. You know, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know this. So you keep finding all these connections with people. And it's just so nice. I love that, actually. That's amazing. I think, you know, having that chance to be with all those people and kind of not just make friends, but learn about leadership and kind of develop yourself in like both professional and personal way. It's great. And I think, like you say, everyone should apply if they have the chance. It's, you know, just a brilliant opportunity, I think. It really is. And also the application process is kind of cool because you have to, you know, write an essay and you think about information technology in my case. And then you get the chance to really get to meet all these amazing people that are coming from all over the world and are doing absolutely brilliant chemistry. And not only that, but I don't know how they do it in CAS, but they didn't just chose people based on their chemistry, but every single one of them was just so nice, you know? <laughs> because sometimes you meet people who are like amazing and like, they're so great and they're like so good at doing stuff, but then they are like, hmm, I wish you had like a nicer personality. But in this case, absolutely every single person was just a joy to be with. And I was so rewarding because something that I love is to meet people that are talented, that are good, but they are nice because I believe that you can be as awesome as you can be and you don't have to be mean to others. Like one of my role models is David Cole Hamilton, Professor David Cole Hamilton. And I think that there's not a single soul in the planet you can ask about David and they will not tell you how nice David is. And David was an amazing organometallic chemist. He did brilliant work. He was head of school. He was president of UCAMS. And he's just one of the nicest persons you've ever get to talk to. So I want to, you know, be that person. I want to, you know, be successful, be good, but also be known as a good guy, you know? So I think that it's important to recognize that. And I have no clue how they do it at CAS, but they really chose the nicest people, honestly. 
Yeah, being a good person, like I always like to say, whenever something happens, I, I was like, oh, I'm busy. I don't have time for that. But then if someone is in trouble, I'm like, okay, you're first human and then the rest. Like we are here as humans first and then chemists and like daughters, sounds and et cetera. Absolutely. Mm, I think it goes to show as well the importance, like you say, of role models and inspiring you to do the work you want to do. So I guess comes on to, we have a philosophical question for you. We try and do this in every episode. What would you say, Cesar, is like the message for you to the next generation of scientists and kind of then what are your tips almost for their success? Okay, my message for the next generation of scientists, if I can say something, it's just be nice, you know, like really be nice because science and academia, it's only as good as the people that are part of it. And we can see it on Twitter. We see that some places are nicer than others, and some people have very different experiences. And I believe that it's on us to make things better for everyone. So just be kind, be nice. And it sounds stupid, but just treat others the same way you like to be treated, because nobody likes to be treated badly. Everyone enjoys being treated with respect and being you know, acknowledged and being accepted and I think that's what we need to do for everyone. And that's my message. If I can say something to everyone else, it's just be nice. Tips for success. Huh, that's a difficult one. You know, like the tips for success are funny ones because what worked for me doesn't necessarily will work for you. So it's always hard to tell people, well, this is how you become successful because every single path is different. Every single person has a different way of doing things. So I think what my advice would be is be true to yourself because you can only be one person and this person is yourself. And whether you are successful or not, you have to be yourself always. So just try to be yourself and surround yourself with people who value you and who appreciate you and who will accept you for who you are. I think if you have that, then you at least have one thing right in your life. And I'm sure that no matter how difficult things can get, then you will get through. That's amazing. I think that's really inspiring. I think not just for, you know, the next generation of scientists, I think for everybody, you know, anyone that might listen to this and wants to know how to live your life to the best way you can. That's a great message. So I think that's amazing. Thank you for that. Yeah. So for the random question that we prepared, we talked about Taylor Swift for a while. It was... <laughs> I love Taylor Swift. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Taylor Swift, if you're listening to this, right? I mean, who knows? Maybe she does. You imagine. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, I would die. I would literally die. Ed Sheer once did something so nice for me. He took the lyrics from Christmas Tree Farm, the song, and then he made like a chemistry song. And then he posted it on Twitter. And I was like, this is so nice. And I have to say, like, there's this sub Twitter universe where like chemistry Twitter means like Swifty Twitter. And it's just so cool because it has the best memes. Like, it's just amazing. I absolutely adore just seeing a Taylor Swift chemistry meme. So if you're listening, please do tag me on your Taylor Swift chemistry memes because I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what is the last song that you were listening to? So today I was listening to Fearless. I love that song just because I like the message of it. And the new album is, I think that there's so much to learn about the, the whole process of it. Like, you know, like, she was basically left without her masters. And then she said, you know what? I'm going to make my own recordings again. So I think that's such a boss move, you know? And it's something that we can all learn from, which is like, okay, you don't dwell on things you cannot change. You just do your own thing and then make a way for yourself. And I think that we should all learn a little bit from Taylor Swift like that. Of course, we're not all super rich and successful like her, but I think the bottom line message is that, you know, you don't dwell on things you cannot change. You just do what you can. And 
I like that. I absolutely like that. And I like the fact that just because you went speaking about issues that were important to you doesn't mean you have to always stop quiet. Like we all grow, we all learn. I think that she's been an inspiration now because she really changed the way she communicates about some social issues. And, you know, now she speaks about that. And I think that's great. And I'm inspired by it. And I'm very happy and very proud to be a Swifty. <laughs> that's amazing. And I think, like you say, if music can kind of inspire people beyond just the lyrics and, you know, the message it's trying to convey, I think that's incredible. And I think, like you said, being able to convey your advocacy for a subject even if it's not affecting you per se like you know what's stopping you from you know showing a passion that you have for a subject even if it's not affecting you I think that's brilliant and more people should openly do that I certainly agree exactly yeah I love your passion for Taylor Swift it's just amazing (laughs) (laughs) I think more people should have that kind of passion for science that would be amazing like brilliant so I think that's a really nice place to finish and I just wanted to ask Cesar like if someone wants to reach out to you what's the best way to kind of get in touch you can drop me an email at my Ugent account. You can DM me on Twitter at Cesapo. And if I don't reply to your email, just send me another email because my inbox is a mess. Or just DM me on Twitter. Twitter is always, it's on my phone all the time. So just reach out there and I'll sure reply to you. <laughs> Amazing. It's been great chatting to you today. And I just want to say thank you to everybody for listening. If you want to reach out to us on Twitter at Ken Combos Pod, please do. And yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. 